Man, it's good to see you guys again today. I'm excited about today. I've been thinking about it since about 11.31 last week. Um, <clears throat> my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teacher here at Grace Life. Those of you here last week knew that I had a little faux pas with that, but that's okay. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the second, second series sermon in this series called Hashtag Grace Life. And it's about suffering together. Last week we talked about love and, and it, Philippians chapter 1, the first half of it is a great explanation of how Paul felt about the Philippians. And I explained to you it really was a great explanation about how I feel about you guys. And then he goes into the second half of chapter 1 of Philippians and he goes through and he talks about his suffering. And so like we do at the... Um, in the church here at Grace Life, we like to take the, histor- the passage and we break it up in three ways. We have to understand the history of a passage. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? Then we ask the question, what, what is the theology of a passage? What about God? What did he do and why and how did he do it? And then and only then can you understand what you're supposed to do with a passage, the devotional. What about me? What am I supposed to do and why and how do I do it? And a lot of people want to skip to the devotional part, the fun part, without doing the homework on the history and the theology and you run into problems with that. So let's look at the history of this passage. Paul is in prison, and he's suffering socially, emotionally, and physically. But even in the midst of his suffering, and it's, and it's intense suffering, remember, he's in a dark cell. He's not like in a club med prison. He's in a cave, locked up, maybe get some bread, maybe get some water. And he's in prison for preaching, and it's a big thing. He's, he's been cut off from all of his friends, and he's writing this letter. And in the midst of his horrible suffering, knowing that he faces impending death, execution by decapitation, I'm, just, I'm not trying to be graphic. I'm trying to make sure that you understand what's on his mind. In the midst of that, this guy is thriving spiritually. Isn't that amazing? I mean, he's thriving. He's not just limping along. He's not depressed like we get. And sometimes, you know, we get depressed and we throw stuff on Facebook. Oh, I'm having a terrible day. Can you imagine what Paul's Facebook post would have looked like? You know, in about three weeks, I'm going to get my head chopped off. See, I would have been fired. I would have been fired for saying that in other churches. But anyway, so, so let's look at the passage, shall we? Chapter 1, 12 through 26. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much bolder to speak the word without fear. Hear what he says? I'm sitting here in prison, and I thought, man, once I go to prison, nobody's going to want to talk about Jesus. But in fact, guys, Philippians, what's amazing is the opposite has taken place, and I want you to know that. I'm in prison for preaching, and I thought nobody would want to preach anymore, and they're preaching even louder and bolder and in more places. It's crazy. Without fear, he says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. In other words, some are preaching it because they didn't like what I preached. But others are preaching it for goodwill. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be 
at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, in my prison, in my death, in my suffering. Whether by life or death, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. In other words, if I've got to stay in this prison and continue to write letters, I will because God's going to use it. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to just get out of this prison, depart and be with Christ. I'm ready to die. For that is far better for me. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you on your account. I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith so that, you, so that in me you may have an ample cause to glorify Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Guys, isn't that an amazing passage? Paul's value system had been radically changed and transformed because of his suffering. We talked about last week who he was before he became a pastor and a missionary and a church planter. He was a guy who killed Christians. He hated Jews who were Christians. He hated Gentiles who were Christians. Anybody who knew Jesus, he hated them and he wanted to kill them. And now he's in prison. The only people he can think about writing are Christians. And then he says, I love you so much. I'm willing to stay in prison and have this, this, this sword of death hanging over my head at any moment and suffer emotionally and spiritually and physically for your benefit. I'm willing to. That's incredible love. What happened was Paul's suffering had transformed his value system. So that's the history. Let's look at the theology. <clears throat> this one's not easy. God is sovereign even when we are in tears. This is the part that God does in this story. See, it's a difficult thing for us to step outside of real, personal, painful suffering, isn't it? It is hard for us to step out of it and think about how great it could possibly be for Heavenly Dad to use and to bless those who we love, those who are part of our family, those who are part of our church. In fact, it is impossible to step outside of your personal pain and suffering and think about others unless you understand the depth of God's sovereignty. In the song that the band just played, there's an example of that sovereignty. He knew us. He called us out of our darkness, out of our mess and filth. The only way you can step outside of being selfish with your Facebook posts about your suffering is if you understand God's sovereignty. As a matter of fact, here's a great passage in Romans 8, 28 and 29. I love this verse. <clears throat> and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are the called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, guys, the concept of God's sovereignty is important to acknowledge if you want your suffering to mean anything. If you want your suffering, whatever it is, to turn into a blessing, to turn into a positive, to turn into a gift, you have to understand that God is in control. Because if you don't think God is in control, and it's all about just the choices you make, then your suffering is pointless. 
Can you imagine how empty a life would be for a Christian who can't trust the sovereignty of God and goes through suffering and gets mad, says, why, God? Because without confidence in God's sovereignty, you cannot trust the outcome, which is in Romans 8, 28 and 29. And see, the reason that Paul was doing so good in prison, hear what I just said? The reason Paul was doing so great in this prison is because he had a grasp of this concept as he suffered facing execution. But you know what? I want to make sure that you understand other people's sinfulness is not the only reason that we suffer. Personal tragedy is not the only reason that we suffer. It's not just limited to that. You know, sometimes we suffer because we deserve it. We make real, right, Chuck? We make really bad decisions and we suffer because of it. We'll still post on Facebook that it sucks, but, you know. Here's what's so amazing about God's sovereignty. You're able to take suffering that even you bring upon yourself and turn it into a gift when you trust the sovereign hand of God. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Even when we bring our own suffering upon ourselves because we make sinful decisions or selfish decisions or unwise decisions, even in that case, God's sovereignty can take our suffering and turn it into a gift. That's what God does in the passage. All right, you ready? This is going to rock some of your worlds today. This is the devotional. If grace life is going to be all that it can be as a church. Remember we talked about this culture of vulnerability last week, that it's important for us to have a culture of vulnerability together. One of the best places to be vulnerable is in giving our suffering to one another as a gift. I am not talking about where you say, well, I'm suffering. Can you give me this to help it feel better? I mean taking our suffering and the lessons we learn and blessing others with it. Let me explain. It is important for us to suffer together. See, what is naturally going to happen normally and what is certainly expected is that suffering turns our attention where? Normally, inward. And you know what else it does? It even can produce naturally expectations that others would turn their focus toward us as well. I'm suffering. Can't you see I'm in pain? Can't you comfort me? And you see what happens? So we suffer, whether it's from our own mistakes or someone else, and what the natural desire is that other people would see it and comfort us. Right? That's natural. Naturally speaking, trials and suffering demand 100% of our energy and our time and our finances and our emotion. In reality, suffering and difficulty is what produces growth individually and corporately if we can learn this. But, you know, we don't really like that, do we? Don't you wish we could just grow when things are going great? Right? I just got this really new job, and I stopped sinning. You know, I just got, you know, I just, uh, I just got this, I just met this amazing person. We're going to get married. And you know what? I don't cuss anymore on 41. It's crazy. <laughs> Something good happened and now I'm a better person. Wouldn't that be great if that's where, but that's not where growth takes place, unfortunately. You know, think about it. If it were just over good things, 
Some of us would never grow at all because your lives are a mess. You've told me. I see it on your Twitter feed. But when you love your church family, we as believers, and I don't say this in arrogance because we know that the only reason we're children of God is not because we were so smart that we were able to choose Jesus. God chose us, right? Because we all rejected him and God said, no, nah, I'll pick you anyway. The only reason that we have this ability is because of God, but we have this ability to do something that others cannot we have the ability to see that our suffering will do a few things. Number, number one, it says in verses 12 through 14 that it can inspire other believers. He says, I thought when I was, you know, arrested and thrown in jail that things would go badly and people would stop preaching. But in fact, many more have become even more bold <clears throat> because of my suffering. You see, it's easy for us to consider ourselves inspirational when we're successful, right? Tom Brady, all these Super Bowl. I hate Tom Brady. I do. I can't stand the guy. Lose a little bit, would you? You could grow personally, Tom. Giselle, money. He was suspended for four weeks and he came back tan. What's up with that? It's awful. <laughs> but when you suffer, it can inspire others as God brings you through it, through his sovereign power. It takes maturity. It takes a relationship with Heavenly Dad to inspire others while you suffer. That's verses 12 through 14. Then the next one, you know what it else? It does. Suffering will expand your impact. In verse 15 to 18, he says, I'm just going to scroll back up here and read it real quick. He says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rival, but others through goodwill. For I know that through your prayers and through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed. And he talks about how people started preaching throughout the whole palace guard. He's in prison for preaching Jesus, and now the gospel's spreading like wildfire under the people that arrested him. <clears throat> it increases your impact. It expands your impact. Then it increases your reliance on prayers. This is great in verse 19. He says it in verse 19. I love it, what he said. The way he puts it is so good. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. When you suffer, it really helps you have an understanding of your need for Heavenly Dad. And, your, and their prayers from those who love you, knowing, here's what happens, knowing that as you suffer, your brothers and sisters who are living the grace life together with you are loving you, they're thinking about you, they're praying for you, they're helping you carry that burden, and it increases your reliance on them. It makes you humble. And then it makes you feel like, you know what, I'm suffering, but I know that my, my grace life people, they've got my back. Sometimes maybe they have it financially. Sometimes it's emotionally. Sometimes it might be socially. I don't know. But because we know that suffering together is a gift, we have each other's back in verse 19. <clears throat> you know what the next thing it does? And this is, this is the, probably the most important part. Suffering, when it's experienced by a child of God with the sovereign hand of God in his life, reshapes your priorities from selfish to selfless. 
It reshapes your priorities from selfish to selfless. The idea being that Paul loved them so much, he was willing to live in hardship and suffering if it meant the gospel would be furthered and their faith would be strengthened. He says, look, I want to go home. I'm tired of living in this painful life, but you know what? I'll stick around for the benefit of the church. And suffering, when you handle it as a child of God, it reshapes your priorities. What's more important becomes different. What you're willing to spend money on becomes different. Who you're willing to hang out with becomes different. What you're willing to do to love someone else in your grace life becomes different. It really brings reality to this considerate a source of joy when you go through difficult times thing that we know about in James chapter 1, 2 to 4. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of various kinds. I mean, when I first read this verse, I think, who do you think you are, James? Count it joy when you go through difficult times? For you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete and lacking nothing. So in the midst of your suffering, spiritually, you become to realize you are lacking nothing. You get it? Suffering leads to lacking nothing. It's miraculous. See, when you trust God's sovereignty, you can have confidence in this outcome. But if you don't trust God's sovereignty in your life when you're suffering, you cannot see your suffering. This is important. You cannot see your suffering as a source of joy or gift to others. And you cannot love others through your suffering. But when you trust God's sovereignty, you begin to see that your suffering is not just for you. It's for us. That's the culture of vulnerability. Linda, where are you? Raise your hand. Where's Linda? Linda, your cancer is for us. I ask these people permission, by the way. Am I right? Your suffering is good for me. It's helping me more than you know. Chuck, raise your hand. Chuck, your suffering in recovery and what lessons you've learned has been so good for me, man. I love you so much, and I'm so glad you're in our grace life. I mean, I really am. Where's Mark? Mark, I've known you for a long time. I've only liked you for three weeks. So, (laughs) no. Mark, the lessons you've learned in recovery have been so good for me, man. I love you. You are changing my life and making my faith stronger because you have allowed me to suffer with you. Chris, where are you at? Chris, your car accident, your story, you being in a wheelchair, your suffering has inspired me. It's expanded the outreach of nightlife and now grace life. I love you. Your suffering has been a huge gift to me. You know why these people, their suffering has been a gift to me? Because they know that God is sovereign and they trust Heavenly Dad. It's not easy, but it's essential. You guys know our story with Laura and I. When we lost a child, our suffering has been a gift to you. There'd be no nightlife, no grace life. See, 
When we began to suffer, or when those people I just talked about began to suffer, God called us to suffering, but he called us through suffering to serving, to living for the kingdom in a new and fresh way. And it's really hard for me. I've always struggled with how to say it, but my wife, and I'm going to give her some credit, she said it the best way, you know, eight, nine years ago. It was so good, and I've, I've shared with this with hundreds of people. She says that suffering has enabled us to live life in a new way with a perspective that allows us to have one foot in this world and one foot in eternity. See, before Jesus, all you can do is have both feet in this world. And that's no fun. Especially since this world is hard and it's fallen and it's full of pain. That when God is in your life and you suffer, you can have a foot here because Paul says, I've got one foot here and I want to keep it here and I want to work with you and I want to be with you and I want to help you, but I got this other foot in eternity. I can't wait to be with Heavenly Dad and the suffering is over. And my wife put it a great way. She goes, it's allowed us to have one foot in eternity and one foot here. And what's happened now since we have one foot in eternity and one foot here, we've been able to, for whatever reason, I can't explain it to you. But before our suffering, the foot that we had here did not make a lot of noise. And now it's stomping like crazy. Because we realize we don't have to save anything. It can all be spent right now. That's certainly where Paul was when he wrote this letter to the Philippians. He said, I want to go, but I want to stay. As long as... I will suffer in this prison with this sword over my head for as long as you need me to. Whoa. See, when that happens, your values change. Your focus will change. Becomes outward. Your expectations change. Your relationships change. Your relationships pre-suffering are shallow and mean nothing. Your relationships post-suffering are deep and intense and such a huge blessing in your life. They're transformational. The price you're willing to pay to love others increases beyond anything that easy life, get this, The price you're willing to pay to love others increases beyond anything that easy life could ever produce because easy life, my friends, is so cheap, right? Easy life is, well, easy. But hardship brings generosity. Suffering brings sacrifice and service And love if you know Jesus and trust his sovereign hand. Guys, that's suffering together. And if we can't learn that lesson at Grace Life, we're just going to be another people getting together to listen to a good band and listen to your incredibly funny, witty pastor every week. That's it. No, somebody's shaking their heads. No. Guys, we have to learn this culture of vulnerability starts with being willing to suffer for the benefit of others. So my prayer for you, for us, 
Whether you're suffering now, and some of you are, I know personally because we spent a lot of time with it, going together through it. Some of you have suffered in the past. We've been there together through that. Some of you are getting ready to suffer, and you don't even know it. And I don't say that to be negative or dark. I'm just trying to tell you it's reality. And when it happens, you have a community that is vulnerable and willing to have your back as long as you're willing to allow your suffering to be a gift. My prayer is that we can begin to see suffering as a gift to our brothers and sisters who are living the grace life together with us. Can you imagine how much growth is going to take place individually if we corporately are vulnerable enough to sacrifice and suffer together? Can you imagine? See, this is why Grace Life is going to be mobile and organic, because we don't come together for a building. We come together for each other. So my encouragement to you today, whether you're suffering now, or you've suffered in the past, or you're getting ready to suffer and you just don't know it, remember to count it a joy when you go through that because it's going to produce some amazing fruit. It has already produced an incredible congregation that is only two weeks old, born out of suffering, that has been a gift to you from the hand of Heavenly Dad. Brothers and sisters, this is the moment in our service where um, we respond to the word of God. And we respond through our giving. And we know as disciples of God, we are called, disciples of Jesus, we are called to be generous. Grace life as a core value has generosity as one of the things that is most important to us. And that means we will be generous with our time. We will be generous with our talents, the talents that God has given to us to uniquely serve within his body of Christ. We're also generous with our finances. Now is the moment in our service where we invite you to, to give in the baskets on your tables. You'll find some envelopes. We invite you um, to go ahead and grab one if you have something that you want to give today. We'll have people walking around the room 